Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Armando Jaycox. I am a roofing contractor in Denver, Colorado, and thank you very much for listening to my podcast. The purpose of this podcast is twofold. One is to give customers more information about roofing services, and the other is to give fellow roofing contractors some good entertaining information to listen to while they're driving around in their trucks all day. So hopefully you really get a lot out of this and I really appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. Today uh, we have the uh, Randy Brothers with uh, Elite Roofing and also with the Roof Academy in the podcast. So we're super excited. I'm super excited actually to be talking to you, uh, Randy, about uh, having you as a guest on my podcast. So thank you very much for, for being here. Thank you for coming. Let's go live if you want. <laughs> no, I, yeah, man, I'm stoked to be here. This is exciting. This is uh, some pretty cool equipment. So I just figured I'd do a little story here with our thing, with uh, with the phone and I'll throw it on social media. Yeah, Podcasting so th- with Armando. What's up? What's up? Here we go. Yeah. So this is... Um, this is kind of the, the, you know, the environment I like to do my podcast in. One, the audio is like super high, super high quality audio with this, in this atmosphere, in this environment. Two, um, this is kind of what podcasting is all about, being in this little room, face to face, talking man. to you, really getting into it, you know? Um, this is kind of what I really enjoy. And, and I think, um, uh, you know, I think that's what's fun about it. And so, you know, one thing I, so I want to like some people who listeners who may not have like heard about you yet, I'll emphasize the word yet, um, because, because, um, I just want to tell you, you know, you've, you've, you've written a book, which I just read, read your book in the last couple of days. It's a, it's pretty easy read. So I want to encourage anybody who gets their hands on your book, just run through it. You know, it, it actually helped, um, Help me learn about some ideas I hadn't thought about yet before, awesome. you know, very much. And I've been in this business for a long time, you know, so, um, you know, I think it, it's really important to, to get your hands on that book, to read it. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of writing that book? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, it was kind of a long process cause I'm not exactly a great reader, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, dyslexia and different things like that. And ADHD definitely don't, you know, provide for a conducive reading environment. So it's kind of funny. People who really know me, like, you wrote a book? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but uh, it was a long process, but I was able to just really uh, kind of break off some time. It took about a year, and okay. I just I broke, I broke out a specific amount of time every week, and I just put it on my schedule, like, this day, this time, for this couple hours, I'm focusing on the book. Uh, and I worked with a publishing company that also had kind of ghostwriting assistants and stuff like that to to help kind of design it all and, and, and build it all out and and uh, create the chapters and, and create the outlines and all the different things we needed to do. And then we recorded it all. So kind of nice. like this, we just, we, we built a chapter and then we'd, we would record one chapter a week uh, and then take that and then they transcribed it all. And then from there, uh, we were able to edit and, and, and make it all kind of make sense and that sort of thing and take things out that were wow. redundant or whatnot. Uh, but th- definitely a long process, but they had a pretty dialed in system. I mean, I worked with a pretty well-known publishing company that knows, uh, kind of knows how this process goes and th- does pretty well with it. Well, you, uh, you talk about the book, uh, uh jumping right into entrepreneurship. So ju- I, I have an outline here that I kind of wanted it because I don't know if you've heard my other podcast, but I can tend to get like all over the place. And I really wanted to focus in on some key stuff with you because you have such great 
things to share, great ideas to share with everybody. Don't worry, we'll chase some rabbits too. It's okay. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, the blow pops. That was your first. That was your first uh, gig, pretty much as an entrepreneur. Yeah, right? pretty much. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you bought some blow pops for twenty five cents. Yeah, Put them in so, your backpack at school. Yeah, I would. Uh, my mom would, you know, go to Sam's Club once every couple of weeks or whatever. You know, big, uh, you know, bulk bulk grocery store, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, whatever allowance money I had, I was like, well, if I want to try to get more money because my allowance wasn't that much, and it's like I wanted to have a vi- PlayStation, a video game system, and be able to kind of you know have some of the cooler toys that some of the kids have that I didn't really ha- have access to. So I just thought creatively, like, okay, how can I figure out how to make money? And I figured out that I, if I bought a box of Blow Pops, for, and I don't remember the pricing, maybe it was like, say, 10 bucks or something for a whole box with like 50 of them in there. I was like, I can buy that and then sell them individually and and make a profit at the end of it. I'll, I'll make more money than what I spent on the box. So that was just the you're better the, the than raw you're better, entrepreneurship. Uh, that is, that's awesome. You're you're a better man than me. Buy low, say. sell high, right? Uh, well, I because I did something similar, but I, I'm going to uh, confess. I stole the packets of gum from the store. And then I sold them for a dollar each. That's 100% profit. <laughs> yep. Well, there's a small caveat to that. I, I can relate to that because there was a little element of uh, some of some of them were purchased, some of them were stolen. I'll put it that way. Yeah. it's the. Uh, so I guess there's a statute of limitations that can't get busted now, but I, I, I didn't I, grow I got, up in exactly, busted. you know, kind of a... You know, I was in a tough, some tough neighborhoods. Like it was well, pretty well, easy to just go that, steal so, stuff um, or, or, or just, you know, kind of do lawless activities, if you will. So you, you didn't, you grew up like from humble and humble atmosphere and humble means basically, yeah, oh, yeah. right? Were, were you guys, um, I know you had a single mom, but like tell me about it, just growing up. You were in Colorado Springs. Is that right? Yep. Kind yep. of a rough uh, towards the South part of town or. Yep. So, well, okay. all over really. Oh, I mean, really? we bounced around a lot er- early on. I mean, okay. I had three, I went to three different kindergartens. Okay. You know. So, I mean, I, I don't mean to be, uh, you know, too uh, um, coarse, but was it just straight up like just poor? You grew up poor for the most part? I, I wouldn't say poor Okay. per se. It was just very limited budget. You know, my mom has, has always been very like budget oriented and, and, uh, you know, my, both of them kind of bounced around with jobs. They both were in the ministry, which that's major challenge trying to, you know, uh, support a family while starting churches and being the ministry and that sort of thing. So they're really kind of giving and that sort of, that sort of mentality. Uh, but, uh, you know, with, with just random different jobs and different opportunities, they tend to kind of change jobs and bounce around and we'd move different places. And so you have a biological father, yeah, right? So you and your biological mother, (laughs) it's weird to call your mom biological mother, right? but, um, so you, your mom and dad, your biological, they, they, uh, you know, they, they were together, right? They, and then they, they had you, right. And then they split up. Yep. What's the timeline there? 11 months. So they were to, you. They had you together for about eleven months. They were together for about eleven months, and I was born through that period. Yeah, bit of a rocky relationship, I would think. If after eleven months they split up, so during your very initial introduction to life, it's a little challenging because yeah, the first was, eleven months, your parents are looking at getting divorced potentially. Yeah, well, their total relationship, I think, was eleven months. So, oh, wow. I was I was three months old when my mom and I were on our own. Oh, and, wow. You, yeah, so we just you and your mom. Yeah, I was okay. actually born while my dad and mom were living in uh, in Clovis, New Mexico. Okay, with my my real dad, my grandma, my grandparents. 
Okay. So they were just there kind of in transition while, so she can have the, have the kid, have me. Okay. Wow. So, uh, was she and then, young? Like, was your mom pretty young? Yeah. I think she was 26, 25, 26. So okay. maybe not that young, I guess. Yeah. 25, 26. Um, uh, yeah. and, uh, and then she had had some family in Littleton. She's from the East coast originally. So she had some family in Littleton and, uh, and I, I don't know all the details, but they, they, they split up and my dad went his way and she went her way and took me and we ended up in Colorado when I was three months old. Wow. So that was, she's that single was mom in Colorado, got a little baby. She's trying to make ends meet. Um, that's quite challenging. I have to say. Absolutely. Yeah. She took a job, took a job with the city. She worked with the city for a long time, city of Colorado Springs eventually. So she moved to Littleton for a little while. Then we moved to Colorado Springs, you know, within a year. Uh, and that's where she, uh, about eight year and a half later maybe is when she met my stepdad okay so uh and and she married him uh, i was about 18 months old okay so when i was 18 months old it was it was growing up with my stepdad and and uh trying to you know i don't know do my thing while they're trying to figure out their lives <laughs> well okay so this is a, something really unique uh i wanted to just discuss because it's you know that your stepdad is a black man yep and you have the extremely unique perspective of seeing life through the eyes of a child with a black father, yeah, and you're obviously not black; you're white. <laughs> and so, some, some would argue <laughs> our, our audience can't uh, see that. So, um, yeah, so you're uh, you know a, a, a white man, and your father was a black man. That is really interesting because that I mean that's super rare, especially in Colorado Springs back in the early 80s right that's yeah. when you're uh, in the early 80s i mean that it's colorado springs is known to be somewhat of a conservative town you know so did you have some i don't know run-ins with kids any like bullying going on and like bad stuff or like did you see like i don't know i want to say um kids must have known that you know your father was black and they must have like messed with you for it i mean is that what did some of that happen yeah absolutely i, I kind of caught it from all different angles you know uh but for perspective, I didn't know the difference. You know, it's like I'm just a kid, and this is my dad. That's all I knew, and that's still to this day. That's how I look at it, and and it's like, and and and, and I'm advocate for for uh, you know diversity and everyone, you know, loving one another. And I don't I don't think race or color or anything should should come into the human condition. Um, and, and of course, I've been you know have a kind of a such a unique upbringing, if you will. Uh, but for me, it was just another another human being. That was it. I didn't know the difference until growing up a little bit. Then I started catching flack or, you know, it was really funny. I, a story happened early on. I was, I was maybe like three years old, three, maybe four. And and my dad and I and my stepdad and I were, uh, we had gotten on a bus, a city bus together and going somewhere. And uh, just to give you an idea, yeah, we I had to ride the bus. We had one, one, one family car early on and they shared it. My mom was at work. My dad, we had to go somewhere. So I rode the bus. Uh, so, and, and then, and this is my first really, cognitive like recognition of it and i and i could even know black white brown blue whatever uh and i at a point like here my here i am a little three-year-old and i pointed out to, to another african-american uh male and i was like he's blue like you dad <laughs> <laughs> and to this day my dad tells that story and it's it's just funny because that was it i didn't know the difference is like i That's thought he was cool. blue <laughs> yeah well racial relations these days are are you know extremely challenging in america and you know, um, it seems like that comes up a lot. So I think it's like yeah. really cool having a guy, a leader in the roofing industry who had that, you know, perspective that just to kind of say, uh, look, it's not all about race and, you know, and, and it's really more about, I'm sure that's probably what your parents instilled, the values they instilled to you is that look beyond that, look yeah. beyond race when it comes to hiring people or working with people or your customers or whoever, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, and growing up, there was, I mean, I had a lot of, lot of stories about, uh, you know, looking back that, that were affected by this, where one, in one case, and one of my best friends to this day, my, my godbrother, one of my best friends in the world is, you know, uh, he's black and big old black guy, best, love the guy, he's my brother. Right. And, uh, you know, I went with him when I was maybe nine or 10 years old, and we went to, uh, with him and his family to uh, Texas and Dallas, and we were in an area is pretty, you know, uh, pretty rough area if you will and i was literally the only white kid hmm. anywhere in sight anywhere hmm. within the entire community or whatever and um and again growing up where i didn't know the difference uh you know long story short i ended up getting jumped okay i got i got and, and it's probably because i ran my mouth <laughs> a little bit you know like not knowing <laughs> difference and I, i'm just thinking you know this kid was you know kind of pushing me and kind of bullying me a little bit and and uh, I just stood up, stood up to them, and I got beat up, <laughs> yeah. you know. But they just jumped in and, and and learned some lessons there for sure. And then on the flip side, you know, back home in Colorado, where, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where it was very diverse, you know, a lot of Hispanics, a lot of blacks, a lot of whites, and and um, and it was, it was definitely challenging. Where there's certain cases where, growing up, I, I kind of learned really just either fight or flight, right? And I'm a fighter. Like I, you know, okay. growing up as a little kid, I got, in a, you know, I'd always fight or I was really defensive or aggressive or angry. I don't know what it was, but you've had, a, you had a chip on your shoulder. Yeah, still do, you know, <laughs> but, uh, the, there's cases where, you know, uh, I'd be with a, you know, group of my white friends and, and they would be saying negative things, uh, about blacks and I would literally fight them or I would, I would stand up for the black side Nice. and vice versa, you know, and vice versa. I mean, there's times when one time I almost got kicked out of elementary school because this kid, you know, uh, an African-American kid was was talking about me because I'm white and because I had a black dad and I'm not real and blah, 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 all this. And I stood right up to him and let's go right outside. We'll figure this out. You know, mm -hmm. and I just did it. That That's just how I was raised and how I was wired. Yeah. So I've defended both sides in, in uh, growing up with both my sisters are mixed uh, to this day. I mean, it's it's awesome. I love it. I mean, I think so it's, you have it's, a, it's, it's you, a great you, experience. Like you and your biological, uh, your biological dad and your and your mom had one child, which is you. And you yes. don't have any more siblings from that part of the family? Not from that exact two. So okay. my dad, my real dad has two other. So I have a brother and sister through him. Oh, okay. And then I have two sisters through my mom who I was raised with. You grew up with them. Yep. And your other uh, bi uh, biological siblings, um, you didn't grow up with them. No. So no. did you have a relationship with your biological dad at all growing up? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until a little bit later. I mean, I was thinking it's four or five when I really started to kind of I'd mm -hmm. see him maybe once a year. So early on, I'd see him maybe once a year, twice a year if I was lucky. I'd go visit my grandparents, and he would be there for a few days and whatnot. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until really where I was pretty much an adult, like college, when I really kind of started building a real relationship with my with my real dad. And to this day, I mean, he's my best friend. I mean, awesome. I, I go wow. visit him, and he, wow. he just left from Denver, but we've worked together. He's worked for a company before, and mm -hmm. and uh, he was a contractor. And every time I'd go visit him when I was younger, he was always building something or working in the in the shop or doing some construction of some sort. So that's really where I got a lot of my interest and a lot of my early experience you know, that's all I knew is like, you know, I'm going to visit dad. He's probably building something or working on something. So I'm going to just get in the shop and do whatever I can to, to learn, you know, and I, I was always intrigued by it. I wonder if that influenced you to get into contracting. Probably. Yeah. Um, I've always just, I love the idea of just creating and, and building stuff. You know, I was mm. always early on. I didn't even want to be in roofing. I wanted to be a general contractor. I wanted to build home, custom homes. That's right. I remember that yeah. in your book. Yeah. So the uh, it, so uh, the, this whole theme of the dad is like really interesting to me in general because I grew up with a single mom. I grew up with uh, my dad was 
absent for a lot of my life. And it's a really hard thing that I've struggled with to mm, this day. Mm. And so, um, and it's actually influenced me to, you know, raise my kids in a, in a way that a little is di- differently, I think, than a lot of maybe someone who just had their dad, you know, the whole time. Um, but I think, um, one thing that's kind of interesting about yours is you, you didn't have that relationship with your biological dad, but your stepfather was fully present in your life. Yeah. Was he playing sports with you? Yeah, he, he coached me coached when I was a you. kid, and he was know. right there, right beside you, helping yeah. you through. I mean, he playing was playing basketball with me, throwing baseballs, and you know, playing catch. I'd love to meet coach, him one day. Yeah. Seems like a solid, great guy. Oh yeah, he's awesome. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. So that's really cool. And then now you've been able to reconcile the relationship with your biological father. So I just think it's important as leaders to have a good relationships with our parents. You know, I mean, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think I think it's there's something deeper to that where if you can have like, um, my, my relationship isn't great with my father, but it's there and we talk Mm -hmm. and we can, you know, and I make an effort to really, you know, um, be friends with him. Um, but, uh, I think it's important that, you know, just cause I know so many people in this business who just don't even talk to their parents at all, you know, and it's, well, not necessarily this business in life. I mean, people in general and, you know, I've been all over the board with it. I mean, I've dealt with like even my stepdad, you know, we, Right, just right as I was getting ready to go off to college, that's they split up. They got divorced. Yeah, you know it affected me and my, both my sisters in in different ways, but it, it took an extreme toll on all of us in different ways. Yeah. And uh, you know, so it's like, yeah, we had this step 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 that relationship, but he's my dad. Like he's my dad. You know, I grew up with him, and and it, you know, my, this to this day that I still, res- regardless of the the you know the situation with you know my mom and him, they're not they haven't been together for like twelve years. Uh, but still, he's dad. Yeah. You know, still yeah. my dad. And my other, my other dad. Same thing. You know, it's, that's it's, hard to that yeah. they get divorced at that age. You know, oh, yeah. uh, well, I mean, my parent, my sister's going through a divorce, and the kids' uh, youngest is thirteen, and so he, um, he's having a really hard time with it. You know, I feel I'm like with the same thing actually. Yeah. Really? Okay, with your sibling? Or? Yeah, my sister. Yeah. Okay, has a thirteen-year-old kid too. She has a thirteen-year-old daughter uh, and a sixteen-year-old son. Oh wow. Okay, yeah. yeah. She my sister has a 13-year-old, a f- 16, 18, and 20. Four kids. Yeah. So wow. they're all yeah, they're they're all taking it really hard. It's super hard for all of them. And um and it's super hard for a whole family to see oh, that. Yeah, you know how took how, its toll on all of us. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's really hard. Um but it's uh you and I kind of have it's funny like you have a 4-year-old kid, right? Yeah. I have four-year-old. a 4-year-old kid. Yeah. Too. <laughs> you have a 10-month-old baby. Uh, I thir- 14 months. Oh, now. she's 14? 14 months. Now. Okay, yeah, mine's 11 months. Oh, so we awesome. have a, yeah, a little cool. baby like Same that. Same trajectory, about three three years apart. Yeah, very similar. Um, I think one thing that, uh, well, actually, I want to get into your, some of your college life, but I really want to get into your high school real quick. So you went to high school in Colorado Springs. Yeah, yeah. What were you like in high school? Were you like one of the jocks? Were you um, one of the troublemakers? Were you just kind of like, you know, middle of the road, just good kid or? Your group of friends and stuff. You like, know what? I never really, cl- I, I was never really like in any specific clique, if you will. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like a chameleon. And to this day, it's like I have friends in all different, you know, friends and relationships all over the place. So I kind of, you know, I would mesh well with the jocks. I'd hang out with, you know, with uh, quote unquote nerds or whatever, or hang out <laughs> with, you know, I, I, I had, I felt like I had, you know, relationships all over the place. So I was kind of like more like a chameleon. Uh, but with, you know, a little bit of kind of that, a little bit of that kind of the bad boy type type mentality. You know, is, is definitely probably a little more arrogant than I should have been. In, in, Did you have in a high school, school girlfriend? Uh, yeah, not just one. Okay, and, <laughs> you so know, you bounced like around. Serious, I had yeah, I didn't have okay. like that one serious okay. girlfriend. I'd okay. have a couple months here, a couple months there, and kind of bounced around and 
and did that. And it's pretty crazy because uh, the one little click I had, it was three of us uh, and one of the two is my business partner to this day. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And the other the other guy uh, that was really, you know, we kind of created our own little clique. We all got along with everybody, mm-hmm. but we didn't really fit into one specific category, if you will, in, mm-hmm. in high school cliques, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, Aaron passed away, you know, a number of years ago. Oh, sorry to hear uh, that. But, uh, but yeah, so that, that was us. We kind of... We're our own little, we call ourselves the elite team, which that's weird. Fast man. forward a I little had bit. A that's a best friend too. growing up named Steve, and he passed away when he was 27. Yeah. He OD'd. Same thing. Really? Yeah. That's weird. He was like a really close friend. Yeah. It Aaron? was, yeah. Yeah. In, in high school, we were best friends, and all three of us okay. just hung out every weekend. And wow. Cody and I went to, uh, went to UNC. And Cody's uh, the, he works with you at Elite. Yeah, that's my partner. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, oh, nice. uh, and this gentleman's name was Aaron. He went to CU. Uh, in Boulder and uh, it was after he graduated a couple years after we graduated you know we had kind of lost touch with with him and and uh, unfortunately just you know it was kind of a random shocker that he, he had passed away so yeah my friend really kept his drug use to, uh, very secret and we uh, I had even hung out with him and I suspected maybe I mean he was always getting into trouble even as an, as adults and then he um, you know, uh, we found, you know, he, he died one day and, and, you know, I got that call and it's just the worst call you get to get, you know, yeah. and it's really sad. In a, so. in a really, I hadn't even thought about this, but in a really weird way, that's almost what brought Cody and I back together. Like we, we were, we'd always been friends, right? But he had, I was doing that construction thing, learning and still, you know, learning construction and he was doing property management. We were in two different states. He graduated a year before I did and he went off and took a job and, and did his thing. Uh, and I stayed with stayed in school and then started my company like right after I got done with school. So we had kind of lost touch a little bit. And then all of a sudden I get a call from from him and he's pretty upset. And it was the middle of the night and he's like, hey, man, I didn't realize this, but Aaron has a funeral tomorrow. And we're both like, oh, no, we broke down. And like literally at the time, at the time, like I had, I, you know, had a decent enough job where I can scrape together a few hundred bucks to help get him. So I actually went online and bought a plane ticket for Cody at the time to bring him mm. and that we hadn't even connected in a little while so that in a we I didn't even thought about this but in a weird way that's kind of what kind of brought us back together that's a interesting bit, if you will. that's really interesting yeah. yeah I keep in touch with Steve's mom still we were just in Vegas for the win the storm event and we um went and visit her she lives in Pahrump Nevada and I think uh, Steve would have liked to keep in touch with him. And I like, I love just keeping his memory alive, you know, to, to a certain extent, because we were like so tight, like from seventh grade on, you know, yeah. and it's really cool having friendships like that. Um, but, uh, you know, and that's awesome. You still have Cody, you know, and even to this day, I met him recently. He seems like a great guy. Oh so. yeah. He's, you know, he's, uh, my better half. Yeah. <laughs> he's, the awesome. he's the brains, he's the brawn behind the operation. <laughs> so you mentioned, um, you went, you did go to college. You went to, uh, UNC yeah. in Greeley and you studied business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You uh, you did a little bit of partying. So one thing uh, I don't know if people know about this, but you are, you know, um, a man of God, Christian man. Yeah. Um, and you uh, when you were in co- and you were raised that uh, that way, because part of your your stepdad yeah. was a. Uh, both my parents were in ministry my whole my whole you life. Mentioned that. Up. OK. Yep. Yeah. Had, so at one point they had their own church and for a couple of years. Wow. And and, uh, and then, you know, from then to different ministries all throughout my so childhood. like uh sort of like a church in a um like in a in a building somewhere and the people yeah, come at one or point like they did have, or yeah, they had their own church uh and it, i think it lasted about a year and, and then it ended up falling through mm-hmm. uh, i don't know all the details but i think some you know unfortunate things were, happened and a lot of lessons were learned and yeah and uh so your but, stepdad would be mm-hmm. up there 
Preaching the gospel. Oh yeah, I've seen him preach a number of times. You've seen him preach. Oh man, whole he's, life. he's from North Carolina. <laughs> okay, right. So I'm mm-hmm. sure he's going to listen to this. Hey, Dad, what's up? <laughs> so he's from North Carolina, and I remember when I was a little kid, we, my parents were still together, and we all went to North Carolina for him to do a guest to be a guest preacher at a church in North Carolina. Okay, and I mean, you see, like in in the. Uh, in the movies, right? You get in there and they got the gospel choir going and it's just, the energy is just crazy. I mean, yeah. 40 people do a gospel, the whole deal. And uh, it, I got to experience that. And it, me and my mom were the only white people in this church. That's awesome. And I tell you what, man, there's some, that there, there was, that was cool. Like it, it was ghost. cool. I mean, the, the, yeah, the man, Holy the Holy Ghost, ghost was there. present, brother. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so that was man. pretty cool a little, as a kid, again, I didn't know the difference, but here I am, white kid sitting in a church of a couple hundred people. And, yeah, that's And cool. that's that, just me and my mom. Wow. So you, you got to see, uh, and, and so in college, you took a little bit of a break from your, you kind of did a little, I mean, you didn't, you partied. I mean, you didn't go completely bananas with partying, but you know, you, you kind of joined a fraternity, mm-hmm. did some partying. Church wasn't exactly your number one priority in life at no, that time. I, right? I had hanging out with your yeah. buddies, being a part of the fraternity probably was right. Yeah. It's like my kind of friends became my family at the time. Like right as I was leaving for college was when my parents were getting divorced. Okay. So, you know, with me, it was like the, and both my sisters had at the time, both my younger sisters had kids in high school back like two years apart or a couple of years apart from each other. So both your sisters had kids in high school while they were still in high school. They yeah. were still in high school. Yep. That is a little bit of, at the same time, my parents were getting divorced. That's a bit of a no, no, <laughs> right? Your parents probably expected Challenge. them to finish school, go to college, get a job and all that. Yeah. And they kind of ha- got, got pregnant. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward, I mean, that, that that's an amazing story because there's a lot of people out there in the same situation. A lot of well, I got to tell you, I want to get Brie in here, man. Yeah. I'm really do, hoping do you I want to get hear. Brie, get Danielle I, in here. Brie and Danielle. Both of okay. them, man. I mean, they're both <laughs> well, have become just major influencers in their in their perspective industry. And is Danielle in the roofing business? No. Danielle okay. actually was an executive for Comcast until recently. Okay. Like, so she, you know, as a mixed, you know, um, female she not only like was able to finish high school while you know raising a young kid and mm-hmm. she spent like i think her last year or last semester in high school teaching herself she graduated with above a 4.0 mm-hmm. in high school wow went to school gra- went to school also carried on those grades of 4.0 all through college got the same degree that took me 5 years took her 3 yeah wow. and then she just accelerated her career and got into working for Denver Health, got into grant writing and worked her way up to, you know, in, in the finance world and, and into the corporate world and worked her way all the way up to the top of the ladder where she just just now recently, you know, stepped down uh, as an executive VP for uh, Xfinity Comcast. Okay. Wow. Uh, she's well, been a, she's a TEDx speaker. Is, uh, Bree is also in the roofing business. She runs your company. Yeah, Bree is the right? CEO of my company. Yeah, so I think uh, the... Um, Danielle sounds like an incredible story. I actually do want to get both of them in here. If I can get Brie, because it's a roofing podcast, you know, we can discuss things about roofing and stuff. But, you know, also, this is a male-dominated, you know, industry. Um, Although I feel like very few people know that some of the largest companies in the roofing are owned by women. ABC. ABC is one of them. ABC Supply. Um, GAF is owned by a woman. And uh, Malarkey Roofing Products owned by a woman. Sharon Malarkey. So um, it's... uh, I, I want to definitely get Brie in here and talk about the woman's perspective being in the business. I think that's really important. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is important because our industry is ever-growing, ever-changing, and it's historically been dominated by males. Yeah. You know, even even white males, if you wanted to go that far. Yeah. It's like, 
you know, how do we grow our industry and, and continue to grow the value of our industry? And it's investing good quality people, regardless of age, sex, creed, whatever. Uh, you know, our, my, almost all of our staff are females. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I think they've built, you know, I'm a little biased, but, you know, one of the most efficient and well-run companies in the entire country. Absolutely. And it's ran by females. Well, I think it's important for people in your position also for the men in your position to give the opportunity, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, uh, promote females and, uh, you know, train females and, and really, uh, you know, um, rehire, recruit, train, promote all of it with females. I think yeah. that's really important if we're going to kind of break up this whole like male dominated industry thing going Absolutely. on. You know? Um, so you ended up getting your degree in, uh, business administration, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Business administration emphasis in marketing. Okay. And, um, and I studied a lot of entrepreneurship as well. Oh, in, in, uh, in school. Yep. yep. Okay. Okay. Um, give me just one second. Cause I have my, um, my thing here. Uh, where is, I just lost my place here. Um, okay. So you complete, you did complete college with a, uh, a business administration with a, uh, in marketing. Yeah. Emphasis in marketing. But then you also took a lot of entrepreneurship classes. Yeah. I, okay. I always knew I wanted to go into business for myself. I always knew did there you really? was that entrepreneurial okay. bug. I wanted to figure out business. And I did dabbled in different businesses, even while in college. Um, and then we, so, so in, in knowing that it's, it's like when I had to kind of pick what my, what my major was going to be, I knew I, I knew I like business. Originally I was thinking more like the finance side or just general business, you know, business is general business administration. But then I was like, what's going to give me the best advantage to be successful as an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. Might as well learn marketing. Like if I can figure out how to market my businesses, then that's going to just give me a little bit of a leg up or an advantage within starting my own business or running my own business. And then at the time they didn't offer a major or a minor in entrepreneurship. So I took, I took every class I possibly could. And then I think a year after I graduated, they actually turned it into an actual minor an actual, you know, an actual minor that you can get. So, yeah. uh, but you know, nevertheless, I took all the classes and that's, I mean, the, just to look at like kind of the grades, college, high school, you know, I, I, I was never really a studious person. Okay. I don't like reading. I don't, you know, I don't like doing schoolwork. You were like a C average kind of student for yeah, the most part. I figured out within each class, I figured out what I needed to do to get by and get by it with an acceptable, you know, grade. So okay. I didn't really apply myself, but I guess, you know, luckily I was able to retain enough to get by with, you know, B's, uh, probably basically a three, a 3.0, 2.9 is yeah. my career average, if you will. Well, the old and saying then, is, uh, doctors get A's, lawyers get B's and millionaires get C's. Right. Every, the, 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 the A students work for the C students, right? <laughs> That's another <laughs> so, <idea>. so <laughs> I was the, you know, CB student and, and then it, when it came to school, mm -hmm. accelerated, I dominated every class I was in, you know, Okay. Like, you know, 3.9, 3.8 in business school. Like once you got dominated every school. class, did okay. some business planning classes. And it's something it's it just goes to show that when you're really passionate or interested in something, mm -hmm. you're gonna put more energy and effort into it. And and when I I just always had a heart and just to this day, like I love business. Every well, ounce you know, of business. that's a good transition into the getting into the roofing business because uh -huh. I feel like I've talked to a lot of roofing guys and a lot of us sort of fell into the business, you know, we just, uh, it wasn't something we were really passionate about. It wasn't something we really wanted to learn a lot about. It was just more of like a job that we thought we could make a living with. And we just started to get into it. You know, that seems mm -hmm. to be kind of a theme that runs through the 
this industry with with roofing guys and um and i think uh, i've definitely personally grown into really enjoying it loving it being passionate about it um because there's so many different aspects to it you know like like leadership um you know sales um branding marketing a lot of a lot of those things go into having a, a successful roofing business and so um you know let's jump into your story of getting into the roofing business because at when you finished high school you started remodeling a little bit right or you started kind of doing some carpentry work so um in college actually so i was in college probably my second year in and okay. uh at that point i i realized that okay i knew i wanted to do business and then i just i'd always been really intrigued with construction so I was like, you know, why not let's let's try to this construction thing out while I was in school. So I was able to get a uh, internship for a local construction company in Greeley, okay. and uh, so I was working simultaneously. So uh, while non, I was going to school, internship? barely paid. It okay. was not enough to really live. So I actually had two, even three jobs in all through college while going to school. So mm -hmm. it's like I've always like. All day, every day, hustle. Well, and you started working since a, you were, were you, were you 14, I worked at Taco Bell, man. <laughs> I got a job. <laughs> nice. you know, I've, I've just been a hustle, hard work. You know. So as soon as you're illegally allowed to work, you started working. You wanted to get a, uh, you wanted to get paid. Totally. I wanted my own car. My mom, okay. they couldn't afford it. They were like, if you want a car, you got to buy it. I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> Sign this paper That's so great. I can go get a job. I, I, sometimes I feel bad for my kids because I had a similar thing. I had to go mow lawns and oh, yeah. you know, I had to go knock on doors and all that when I was a kid. Sometimes I feel bad for, you know, for my kids because I, I, I feel like... You know, even them now, and you probably experience with this four-year-old, you probably buy them cool stuff, and they just were like, if you could have had the stuff you gave your kid now, when you were a kid, you probably would have, you know what I mean? Like, oh, man. You, you probably would have killed for that kind of stuff. Yeah, the know? amount of toys and, and things he has. It's like, we bought him a, and I haven't even given it to him yet. <laughs> so his birthday was in January, and it was cold, and we had to order it. And, but we bought him a big old power wheel, and I haven't even given it to him yet. And it's like, you know what? I'm, I don't know. I'm probably just going to wait for spring or something. It's yeah. like he got so spoiled over his birthdays with all yeah. the gifts he's got given. And it's like, that's a challenge, right? So we strive to create a better life for our kids. But we also want to be able to want them to know what it's like to want, right? Well, know some of those hardships like to... that I went through when I was a kid with like, you know, uh, knocking on doors to mow lawns and for five bucks and, and then, you know, having to save some money to buy something like all that kind of stuff is what made me be ambitious and successful now. Yeah. You know? And so it, I feel like uh, I want to figure out a way to create that with my kids some, somewhere. I know. Now, you, know? You, you and me both, man. It's like that's something my wife and I talk about. It's It's like... We want to create this life where we don't have to worry about how much things cost and it's like you know we want to be able to kind of provide but you also want to understand what it's like to, to earn and and strive and want something and and, and strive for that and save yeah. up for th those things and and do whatever it takes to achieve those goals without just having things kind of handed to you so so you started working you started uh working through working three jobs at the college when you were in college um doing some some basic the internship with some basic construction construction and then uh, worked at a uh, a couple different restaurants you know I worked at one in the nights and sometimes on the weekends I'd have a different one I worked at like a Perkins which is like a breakfast restaurant and yeah worked at an Olive Garden uh, when they first opened so mm -hmm. yeah it was you know you want to provide one I always figured it out and I always had my own vehicles I always paid my own bills and, and always paid for my own way nice nice man yeah and so you you got your degree now you have a college degree and you need a job yeah. Right? But you, uh, you, you got into, was it like 
adjusting, like an insurance adjuster? Not quite. So right as I graduated, uh, I had already had about two, shoot, I was working two and a half years for this construction company. Mm. So that's another reason why it took me a little bit longer to graduate. It took me five years because I had rearranged my schedule in a way where I'd take night classes and early morning classes as much as I can. That would leave me the rest of the day to go work and to work for the different companies I'd work for. And, and learn construction as was my main. By the time I ended, I was working full time for the construction company. I was doing everything from drafting to, you know, literally drafting houses on on the computer to wow. project management, super supervision, and labor. Like I did it all. Like wow. I was literally building houses. It was it was awesome. Yeah. But graduated, and at the time, by the time I graduated, I was like, all right, now I need like real income. I can't be working off this partial income and working two yeah. three jobs to, to pay for. What I need to pay for is I can't live like a poor college kid forever. Yeah. And uh, they had just bought a bunch of property and and were kind of in between projects. I just finished up a bunch of projects and they were like, well, we don't really know what to do right now because we bought these projects, but they're not, the land's not going to be developed for a while. Mm -hmm. And little did I know this was also the start of, you know, the, the, uh, what are they calling it? The, uh, the Great Recession, not the Great Depression, but the Great Recession. Yes. Apparently, that's what they're calling it so now. you're talking like 2006, 2007. Exactly. I graduated in May 2006, just okay. to, get, to give you some context there. So yeah. um, that I, so then I was like, you know, uh, let me just take a job. I'm trying to get a job. So I got a job working for a lumber company doing lumber sales. Okay. It was like $10 an hour, and I was expected to, to just go to job sites and convince contractors to buy lumber from me. You were like an outside salesperson? Yeah, okay. exactly. So I was like, okay, we'll see how this goes. Uh, and did that for a couple months. And and little did I know, again, it was it was all these signs leading towards disaster that I wasn't, I was kind of oblivious to. Mm-hmm. I just figured like the job was tough, <laughs> mm-hmm. but the market was shrinking. Less yeah. and less contractors, That's people tough. weren't ordering yeah. materials. It was mm-hmm. like home, home, home building was starting to come to a, to a halt. They were all checking and stopping and yeah and i'm sure i am trying to sell materials to these contractors yeah that had been overbuilding it's for the literally last, coming to a halt they were it was, yeah. i was right at the top of the bubble yeah. like yeah <laughs> it could it couldn't have been the, the the worst timing to try to do what i was trying to do and then yeah. luckily through all this experience i i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a networking guy man i mean yeah there's a lot of people going to listen to this. I, you know, I'm yeah. I'm pretty proud of the fact that I know a lot of people and yeah. and have a lot of really great friends. It's not just knowing people, but but I connect with people and I care about them and and uh, and I've always kind of had that mentality. So I had developed relationships with a bunch of subcontractors to to help facilitate work and that sort of mm-hmm. thing when I was working for the for the construction company. Okay. So a couple months in, I got an opportunity to to bid on a uh, basement. This lady wanted a, her basement remodeled. I'm like, oh man, that, there's a market So you're for this. working for the lumber people this still? This was working for the lumber company. And you yep. kind of did like a side project potentially. Yeah. A potential side which, project. Exactly. Because you kind of what some subs and ultimately stuff. helped me start my own business. Is, okay. Is, okay. Is I got this opportunity and I'm like, this is where I want to be anyway. So, I mean, this company, there was no upside here with it. You wanted it's to be in construction. Lumber. Yeah, little did I know a few years after that, they went out of business, <laughs> that, that lumber yard. Really? Wow. Yeah, so... Got out of that, and I somehow got the job, won the award, and can you know sold my way into uh, into uh, my first basement finish. And that's and in I, your book. And yeah. that's so funny when you're uh, you talk about in the book like going to measure the job, and you're just like, <laughs> didn't really know what you were measuring, but you're just measuring. <laughs> like, yeah, man, just, just asking about of notes. finishing and touch the finishes and the fixtures, and you're just kind of you know winging it somewhat and and trying to make it work and stuff like that. And oh, yeah, I, feel I like made no money. That's Not the way it is. And the, yeah, you made very <laughs> small amount of money. money. 
I feel uh, like that's kind of how a lot of that's well, I think it's important to, you know, people listening who maybe think about getting in this industry to know that that's kind of the way it goes when you start really anything really as an entrepreneur yeah. is that you, you kind of have to, you know, fake it till you make it's it. It's a rite of passage. You yeah. know, and I, and I work now this day, I do consulting. I work with a lot of contractors all over. And some contractors are, really, are ready to scale and, you know, 10, $20 million contractors. And then you got your guys just getting started. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and it's a rite of passage. You And I, and I explain this. You got to, the first couple of years, you've got to wear all the hats. You've got to hustle. You got to make things happen. You got to figure out how to, how to make things happen with minimal budget. Yeah. And, and I think that in and of itself will, will help set apart uh, an entrepreneur. You mm-hmm. kind of you kind of have to go through failures, and you have to go through some tough challenges to really, really get and grasp what entrepreneurship's all about. Yeah, I mean, if it's just an easy road that's just handed to you, you're not going to appreciate it as much, and you're not going to have as as long of a of a career as an entrepreneur. You're not going to appreciate the value of what you do have and the value of the opportunities you're able to create mm-hmm. for other people once you pave that way. Once you've kind of learned and grinded it out and figured things out, mm-hmm. you know, then you set yourself up for, for success and creating opportunities for other people. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I mean, uh, so like, let's go to the transition of being the remodeler. You had this like remodeling business for a little while. Right. And, and you didn't really know too much about like this roofing storm restoration aspect mm-hmm. of the, of the construction industry. Right. You no, was, I would, I would sub it out. I was, I had a subcontracted roofing company. I would just call when I did a project construction project and needed a roof on, I just call them and Hey, come out and do it. Okay. You know? But you somehow got into adjusting and all this, right? You yeah. were an insurance so, adjuster for so, a little while. So here's what happened. Uh, started the construction company for a couple of years, you know, did, did fairly well. Uh, and, but all the while the, the market was the major bubble happening. Right. So mm-hmm. it all came crashing down at once mm-hmm. to the point of, I had done some projects and the contractor I was working for as a subcontractor at the time just didn't pay me, just disappeared, you okay. know? So that was my first like, oh crap, now what? I mean, I was counting on this money and that was like the the, the domino that put everything in, into effect in a negative in a negative way. Mm-hmm. So the, the market busted, the, the bank stopped lending. People, like I got totally stiffed by a couple contractors that, that owed me money and I was doing mm-hmm. all this work and trying to get paid and trying to pay other people. And I'm like, oh man, it just started snowballing from, but from there I, I was doing some subcontract work for a restoration company. And at the time they had a lot of work. So fire and water restoration wasn't really affected as much by the, 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 uh, the bubble, right? So the bank stopped based. lending and people were using HELOCs to pay for their basement finish hmm. in, in the market that I was in. So that was a, the normal thing. You could just walk into a bank and get a signature loan and here's 20, 30 grand, go do what you want with it. Okay. You know, they can't do that anymore. It's not yeah. like that. But yeah. at that point it was, it was just sign on the dotted line. Anybody, anybody and everybody could get money yeah. and they were using it for, you know, building their houses and contracting and, and remodels and whatnot. So I was trying to fill that mold, but uh, build a relationship with this uh, restoration company and, you know, just, through, I don't know how it exactly happened, but they were like, well, we have an opportunity. We have a bunch of projects we need to get done, you know, and we need a, you know, kind of a superintendent to help us do that or someone to kind of help manage all these projects. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, what else I got to lose? Like, I'm in a pretty tough spot. I got to get some income at this point. So, okay. so I switched from being a subcontractor to work directly for them. And they literally just piled, I don't know how many, 20, 30 fire water jobs on my plate said, Hey, you go fix them, go build this them? stuff. Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. So here I am trying That's to, trying experience. to fight through that and, and do that. And, and they had an in-house 
supplementing department. So they had in-house ex-insurance adjusters that were writing up all their scopes for these fire and water losses mm -hmm. and negotiating back and forth or not really negotiating, but doing the doing the supplementing deal with the insurance companies and you know evaluating the scopes and all the different things there, uh, getting the billing all figured out and done. So they had always kind of talked about the good old days of you know chasing storms and working hurricanes and doing the insurance adjusting and making mm -hmm. all this money and mm -hmm. and I'm like so I, the more I heard about that the more it interested me and and uh, this measly salary that I was getting to do this do this crazy amount of work mm -hmm. was still not getting me out of the hole I had dug myself in so I was like I need something else I need to be able to double or triple up on this income mm -hmm. so I figured out that if if I were to get my license as an insurance adjuster if I can somehow get my foot in that door that I can travel, go chase storms, and and you know make the money I need to make to, to get my life back together. So you're in like your late twenties at this point. You see, kind of like these, you hear about these stories of adjusting. You go, you get your adjuster license, and you went out and start chasing storms as an adjuster. Yeah, yeah. This much. was mid twenties. Yeah, this was okay. Yeah, mid twenties, and uh, yeah. So through that, I was able to get in the door with a, a local adjusting firm that they had connections still. So they made a phone call, got me in the door with this adjusting firm. Mm. And they told me that, all right, if you go get your license, we'll give you an opportunity. Okay. So okay, so I figured out that if if I were to go to Texas it, and I and got and became a resident there and got a license as an, a resident adjuster in Texas, it was reciprocal in 32 states. So I, and, and it just so happened that a, a girl that I was dating at the time had just moved to Texas kind of on a whim and we were kind of going through, I was like, man, what the, we didn't really even break up. It was, she just moved to Texas. I'm like, hmm, so here we go. Let me go for multiple reasons. Like, fine, let's just go to Texas and see what happens. Uh, so I moved to Austin and got my license as an adjuster and that's kind of what got me into insurance. And did you go to Florida and through Texas or adjusting storms? Texas and Georgia mainly. Oh, I worked really? in okay. Duluth, Georgia, yeah. That's oh, where you, I was okay. working, yeah. And, uh, and what, did you make some money doing that? I mean, was it okay? A or? little bit. Uh, okay. I, I started making decent money, um, and and I was on a team. I was on what they called steep and tall team. So we were, like, literally rappelling okay. off roofs and using ropes and harnesses and all this yeah. stuff. And and that was back before the world of drones and, and eagle views. Yeah. But uh, did that, and but the problem was, like, you know, I'm, I consider myself, I, I get along with a lot of people. I can pretty much get along with anybody. Yeah. And, and for some reasons, it's the guy that I was working with. Just we just clashed worse than anyone else in my entire life. That's weird. Like the guy you were adjusting jobs yeah, with in, on the, it on the just, Steve team. It's it's hard to explain. It's yeah. like he would we would get done, and he would laugh at me while he makes me do all the paperwork while he sits there and plays video games. Okay. Like just like, haha, you're my apprentice. You get to do all the work, and I'm doing nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, that doesn't set well with me. I've never done well with with, uh, with uh, authority, authority, and this sort of stuff. And <laughs> it's like, imagine the like the, the 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 someone in your life that's just like, I don't know, that's just like totally just stands out and just totally does not fit in anywhere, but also, but then gets a whole bunch of authority over you. Yeah, that's. Kind it was scary. like, it, and he abused the crap. All over he's like the a place, little gremlin, man. He's, yeah. It's like, wow. it was, it was tough. So then, and it was like, it sucked because this was my opportunity, right? I was like, man, yeah. I worked so hard to get this opportunity. And here I am just absolutely hating every single day of my life. Miserable, seven mm -hmm. days a week, away from my family, like yeah. away from everybody. Didn't know when I was going to go home. And, and I, I, it was a tough decision because it, I was nowhere near where I needed to be financially to get myself yeah. out of the hole I was in. And I decided that you know what I got to just go with my heart here and and take a take a risk and step away from this situation and just go back to 
to Texas and wait for my next deployment or adjustment. You know, you went, you went just moved back to Texas. And yeah, so I left Georgia, went back to Texas, adjusting claims, just locally? trying to locally, and then at that point, I ended up getting connected with a local roofing contractor. Okay, so that was my first ever experience in roofing as a contractor, if you will, in Texas. Uh, yeah, so I. I took a job with a, with a contractor there in Texas. There was a little hailstorm that hit. Uh, How'd you find that guy? Just looking online phone or something? Phone truck. Uh, truck. I looked at it. As I was coming saw in. saw truck and he's, I'm going to call that. Yep, <laughs> literally. As I was driving, I was like, you know what? I, I know I can sell. I got a ton of construction. I can build a house. Oh, and, so you heard that you can make money selling roofs. Yeah, because I was adjusting. So I was working, uh, you adjusting. You met contractors. I met these contractors and these big gotcha. old trucks. I'm like, there's yeah. got to be something to this whole yeah. contracting, roofing contracting thing. And Yeah. And uh, I went to work for them, and, and t typical, looking back, t terribly unorganized. Had right. no clue what they were doing. I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. You know, I was just there. Just gave a bunch me of contracts, some, business cards to go sell some roofs. Exactly. Here's okay. a here's a pitch book and and some business cards and good luck. Yeah. They even were giving me some leads that they were getting from some telemarketing company and. Mm -hmm. And the, half the leads didn't even speak English, <laughs> mm -hmm. and little let let alone let alone did they know that I was supposed to be there or knew I was even coming. Or it was it was pretty rough. Like yeah, it was definitely trial by fire. But luckily, you know, again, right of passage. What type of right? vehicles did you have during that time? I had a nice truck at the time. Did you really? Because I had bought a truck oh, from my else. construction company. Oh, okay. So I had right. a 2005 Chevy lifted. You know, I was, I was doing nice. all right, but okay, behind on my payments. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> barely like struggling to do that. You know. <laughs> So you kind of went out there and started running leads with his roofing company and, yeah. and did you, so you had a bit of, of knowledge about sales because you went to business school. So I'm sure yeah. you guys talked about sales back then, right? Sure. And I had you done know. sales. I mean, waiting tables is oh, sales. Plus lumber. And, the and lumber then I yard. sold lumber. Yeah. And then I also, I also did a stint at a Best Buy selling computers. Had no clue what I was doing. But did I anyone ever tell you you should get into sales? Oh yeah. People are always. Oh really? That, yeah. Okay. Your whole life you've heard that. Yeah. Okay. Um, there was a guy on Facebook who, um, had a question actually who wanted to see uh he wanted to know and i think this is a perfect time for it um so what he asked was when did your mind shift from being a follower to a leader was there a light bulb moment i feel like when you got into straight commission roofing sales that was a big jump there had to be a shift in your thinking there right because you were doing public adjust or you do you were not a public you were adjusting you get paid per job or you get paid you know um, yeah. You just get handed claims and then you go get paid on them. Yeah. But roofing sales, you got to go out there and make it make keep, it happen. Keep right? in mind, I was selling remodels before that for my own company. So you had to go out and make it happen. So then. I was making okay. it happen f forever. I mean, so my mind was 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 in a, in a sense creating opportunity, creating income for myself at an early age. So I was, yeah. you know, I had it took a while, but I got comfortable with the idea of you know, not having that security of a paycheck yeah. of having to hustle to make money. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, that was something that I, I kind of just developed and grew over time. And, and, and going in during this time, in my life, I kind of went back and forth. I had a job for a little bit then I didn't have a job. I had a job for a little bit and I did have a job, but it was probably the most stressful and uh, honestly the, the most depressed time in my life. That first year in roofing yeah, sales? I mean, yeah. uh, no, before that. So okay. yeah, basically that in Texas, in between doing the roofing sales there, it was like, I knew the the amount of volume, and I just it just did not look. You're running good. these leads. These grim. you're running yeah. these bad leads. Yeah, and no guaranteed income. Bar, no trying guarantee. to borrow money. <laughs> Single like, guy to get still draws and lead, you know people. Yeah. Know, there's a lot of salespeople going to listen to this, right? Yeah, definitely. They know what it's like to yeah. try to get draws and get your pipeline built up and all that sort of stuff. And 
but I always had a vision. I always just knew that there's there's something about like this industry and, and I felt like I was always called to do something big. Like okay. I always just felt that. Like they're just keep growing, keep going, keep going, keep learning. And eventually I'll, I'll figure it out, you know? Well, you met some kind of, a, in your book, you talk about meeting a, a, a friend, roofer friend, mentor slash mentor mm-hmm. guy. And when you were, you went, they, the company in Texas asked you to go chase a storm basically, right? So, in Ohio or something like that. So there's one piece missing. So I was in Texas and working for this company. And then I got a call from a friend of mine who I went to college with and we were good buddies from college. Mm-hmm. And he was actually just doing door knocking for a company in Denver. Canvassing? And, yeah, canvassing. Okay. And and Denver had gotten hit with a big storm in 2009. So mm-hmm. that happened and he and I just somehow got, kind of reconnected, if you mm-hmm. will. Uh, and and he was like, hey man, I heard you're in roofing and insurance thing. Like, dude, we got a big storm. I can probably get you a job selling roofs for this company in Denver. And there's a ton of damage. So it's, yeah. I mean, this is a good opportunity. It's 2009? Yeah, 2009. Okay. And okay. so I saw that light bulb went that off was for Lakewood. me. That was a Lakewood storm. All over. It was Arvada oh, and okay. Parker and all the different areas. I was working okay. Parker and Arvada, which that was dumb going back and forth, but yeah. <laughs> I had to do what I had to do to hustle, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I saw that opportunity. I'm like, you know, what else, what else, at this point I was pretty depressed, man. I was in a pretty dark place. Like mm-hmm. it looked like everything I was trying, you know, Fridays would come and mm-hmm. we'd have just enough money for maybe one of us to go to dinner with our friends. And that was it. And it was yeah. like, all right. At the time I had a girlfriend, I was like, you go, I feel like the here's your you 50 bucks for the night. Good luck. Go figure that out. I'm going to sit at home and play video games, you oh, know, wow. yeah. and uh, order pizza. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. just, that's okay. kind of the, where I was at the time. And I, was, I didn't have anything else, to, anything else to lose. Yeah. And uh, luckily for some reason I had, I'd taken a trip between Colorado and Texas recently and, and I had borrowed my sister, sister's credit card. Hmm. So she, and then I called her, I was like, hey, I need to come back to Colorado. I don't have any money. Mm-hmm. Can I, you know, use your card to put gas in my truck? Mm-hmm. She said, okay. So, so I, you know, did that a few, racked up a few hundred bucks on that and mm-hmm. eventually obviously paid her back. But mm-hmm. um, that was it, man. I packed up everything I had and strapped my bed on the top of my truck and said sayonara to the girlfriend. And you literally <laughs> strapped a mattress to the top of your literally truck? Literally strapped a mattress <laughs> to the top of my truck and drove from Austin to- wow to Denver and luckily my, where I was born in Clovis, I told my grandparents and my, my dad and stuff were still close by there. My grandparents were there at the time. So I'd, I'd, I'd go from Austin to Clovis, stay the night there and hang out there and then come back. So I'd split the trip up, you know, to drive back and forth and uh, did that and went and sold roofs and and uh, ended up doing really well selling roofs. And okay. so that was kind of the, the I mean, I feel like you trigger. were groomed for that because you had been selling remodeling, selling the roofing, bad leads, and now you're sitting here in like a storm situation where everybody needs a new roof and they're probably happy to meet you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they're like, so that, that's where you kind of had an idea like, well, why am I working for these guys? I might as well go do my own thing. Is that kind of what? And that wasn't really the reasoning. I think okay. a lot of people kind of have that as a reasoning, like oh, I can make more money doing it on my own, right? Yeah. No, in my case, like I, like, and I don't. I don't want to throw mud because I got an opportunity and I have mad respect for the company I worked for and yeah. the people I did. But the way they did business didn't wasn't the way I wanted to do business. It wasn't your flavor of it doing business. It wasn't our, our value system and just the way we approach things and the way we you know approached human interaction and doing things. Our, our purpose or our reasoning for doing things mm-hmm. was different. I mean, okay. it, it, you know, not necessarily right or wrong, but but different. Yeah. Uh, and and I was all about trying to you know, create more for others and, and put in family and values and, and uh, trying to, trying to build something bigger than myself. And, mm-hmm. and it seemed like the industry was just flooded with 
who, what can you do for me and who can make the most money? And, and everybody would just trample over each other and do whatever they can to each other to benefit themselves. And it was just, yeah. and it's unfortunately, there's still a lot of that in the industry. It's like, it's oh, overran yeah. with, with I was just talking to a friend of mine today and he's like, uh, he just started doing a, a little telemarketing office thing in his, in his business, in his uh, office, his roofing company. And he was just telling me, man, I don't even really know. I want to offer some of these leads because I've got extra leads. I can't even run them, you know, but um, I, I just I'm really careful about who I'm going to work with because there's just this industry is so cutthroat, you know, and like you, someone will cut your throat to, you know, that there's a reason that that word happens. Someone's going to cut your throat so they can make get that deal. Yeah. Like, yeah. And sometimes your people are cutting their own family's throat to get the deal, yeah. you know, in this industry, it can be pretty, pretty bad. But, um, so you kind of have a, a, a bit of a, you know, that just the values weren't meshing you, you, is that when you kind of thought, you know, I think I might be able to pull this off on my own. Well, yeah, I had already had a company, right? So I had already started my company. I already had okay. a three-year-old company. I had yeah. stepped away from that company to go do the adjusting and move to Texas and the whole deal. But the company yeah. still existed. It's okay. still registered with the state and all these sort of things. It still existed. Mm -hmm. And and I worked for this this company, and they did, did really well. But they were a storm chaser, right? They wanted to go chase storms and set storms all over the country and okay. this sort of stuff. And I didn't know any difference. So I'm like, all right, well, here I am. Let's, let's do the storm chasing thing. So I actually did that for a little while. And that was where I really started really thinking of is this really where my future is? Do I really mm -hmm. want to be a storm chaser? Do I really want to, you know, try to go into a market and pretend I'm somebody I'm not and mm -hmm. and and pretend that I'm a local contractor when when I was literally from somewhere else trying mm -hmm. to come in here and just capitalize on the opportunity and make money. Yeah. And it just didn't I just just not wired that way. Yeah. So through that is where I met, you know, a couple a couple people and had been in the industry a long time and and one in particular was had become a mentor of mine and connected and made, made good friends and was and, like an uh, older guy yeah a little bit older than me he's okay. probably he probably about 10 15 years on me at this point and, okay uh, he's still a pretty young guy then yeah he was, he was early I think, 40s guy yeah like late 30s and okay. uh, and i'm like mid 20s you know so okay i looked up to him for just i don't know i didn't know what i was doing so i was trying he to was learn. a hard he was a veteran storm chaser yeah he is he, he had money because he had yeah. been selling and been running storms and management and a bunch of different things so he had come just to check the storm out he was hadn't committed or anything to to work in this particular storm we were in ohio at the time mm -hmm. and uh met him and just spent literally a couple days just getting to know one another and uh, like literally like days at a time just spending hanging out talking and mm -hmm. and all of a sudden i was like uh i saw on the news a hailstorm had hit hitting back home in in uh, Aurora. I'm like, man, like, what am I doing here in Ohio? Trying to like, mm -hmm. trying to hustle these, these these jobs and working for some co local company here that's really just a facade for the company that I was working for. I'm like, man, it's just this isn't right. Like, I, this just doesn't work. So I, I, I was like, I literally stayed up all night long, wrote a business plan, and just wow. put everything is like a like this paper here, like almost like a napkin plan. I just put on. I try to illustrate everything I would need to do to start my own company, and it was all night long. And working with him too, he was like he had been in the industry a long time, so he helped me with this. And and by the end of it, he was like, "All right, uh, you're gonna need some money mm -hmm. <laughs> to do this." I'm like, "Oh yeah, crap. <laughs> How do I get money?" Mm -hmm. uh, and I, luckily, I had built some relationships back in Colorado. And I was like, "Tell you what, I worked a deal out with him." I said, uh, "Well, I asked him, like, why don't you give me some money? You got money?" He's like. You know, I don't, I'm going to just fund this whole thing for you. But he, by the end of it, finally convinced him. He said, uh, and I think he really was, he really just said this to kind of just get me off his back or, or to just, you know, facilitate my sale, selling ability. Mm -hmm. I was sitting there trying to sell him on loaning me money to start this company. Mm -hmm. And he said, tell you what, if you can go back to Colorado and come up with the other, 
not quite half, but the other amount of money that you need, we kind of had a little plan on how you much you said we in the book, 25 grand. Uh, I needed, I needed 25 in addition to his money that he was going to give he me. He was going to give you 15, I think yep. you said. And yep. then so, he, yeah, he put, said, if, put if, in you, the book. So, if you, if you give him, if he, I think he said, if, if you get 25, I'll give you 15. Yep. And you thought 40,000, I can make this work. Yep. Okay. Yep. So that's what I thought. Uh, and you grossly underestimated. I think you mentioned a little bit in that in the book. That's true. <laughs> I don't know how many times in the first few years, like we, we had to like, I didn't get paid. I mean, 40,000 is a lot of money. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of money. And I think, uh, you can, you, you still had to run on a shoestring budget. Absolutely. Everything. Well, I started day one. I, I brought in an employee, brought in the salespeople and okay. I already had this model written out, right? Okay. I already yeah. planned all this. And nice. I was like, okay, I know I need this. I had my mom was working as an assistant for me doing sales. And I was like, I know I need, and honestly, a big reason was I wanted to provide an opportunity for her. Okay. Really? Cause it's like, I got to the point where I was like, I don't have enough work selling roofs anymore to where I need you to help me as an assistant. And mm -hmm. she was paying, working full time. I was paying her to do that. And it was like, do I either just go chase this storm chasing thing without her and without, without just let her do her own thing? Or do I go back and start a company and, and give my, give, give, give her an opportunity, that's which I was already committed to that. Right. So that's that was a very a big powerful reason. That. That's a, that's a, yeah. that's a very powerful cause it's, it's your mom. That's probably the most strongest emotional relationship yeah. you have potentially and then especially when you're single guy and then on top of that she might she she needed she was unemployed i think you mentioned the she book. would have been if if uh okay but she was before i started I, I hired her originally when i was doing sales we did so many sales and i'm terrible at paperwork and details that i i knew right away like holy crap we sold like 70 roofs in a matter of a, a few weeks like wow. six weeks or something and i was like wow. oh no i gotta figure this out so uh, brought her on to do my paperwork and job submissions and all that sort of stuff. And by the time that all fizzled out, this is when I started chasing storms and that sort of thing. And I was like in this transition of, do I selfishly just go chase storms and work on my own and, and make all the money to myself? Or do I go back home and start a business and provide opportunity and, and have mom help me with it? Yeah. I mean, I just think it's important like for people listening that, um, there's that this like when you think about why am I doing something and we talked a little bit about why's and stuff like that you know and like I think uh, if, if you ha if your why is can have a really strong like emotional emotional element to it as well as some financial element to it that you can really go far you know mm -hmm. there's a there's a guy that I follow online who he uh, talks about you know his first uh, his big why was like he wanted to buy his mom a house because they'd never owned a house before mm -hmm. and he uh, you know that's what why what motivated him so much to go knock on doors and they sold alarms and so he was just knocking on doors knocking on doors and was able to save like I don't know 150,000 bucks dropped 80,000 on it with buy his mom a house yeah. it's like once I bought my mom my house his their, her house like I had made it like I had arrived and even I needed a new goal you know and that was it was hard because I didn't have that was a very such a strong motivator for me I didn't really have anything else at that point I had to like start start yeah. coming up with new ones so I think that's pretty awesome and, and she became your first employee yep yep first employee I basically wrote this plan all night long woke up the very next day packed everything back up in my truck and started driving from Ohio back to Denver and and I called her as soon as it was light enough to do it or late enough to do it when she woke up and I was like hey mom uh, I'm going to start a roofing company and I want you to come work for me. And, and did uh, you get an office right away? Uh, yeah. Yep. You just rented a space Pretty somewhere? much right away. Started, okay. I mean, that's what I got. I had the capital. I was like, okay. Well, I rounded the capital at first. So okay. you know, at first it was like rounding up to saying, meeting with different people and somehow convinced them to, to loan me the money. And when I went back mm -hmm. to my buddy and he was like, and I showed him the $25,000 check, he's like, 
holy shit, man, you actually did that. I was like, <laughs> that's cool. Hey, bro, like, yeah. pay up. Let's go. Yeah. Let's do this thing. So he had no other choice. Like, and he, he became a, he did you write him into right the, like your corporation or something no, like that? No, luckily. Just, it was a loan type he, thing? Yeah, it was a loan. It oh, was nice. hard money. I paid a lot okay. for it. I probably Not paid bad. double back, honestly, or more. <laughs> but I was like, I'll do whatever it takes to get this, get money, get this thing going to chase this dream. So that was it. And that's, that's what ultimately leads to the, to the why is. And did you get your logo established that way? And, and you created the name Elite at that point? You had a, must have, was your mm -hmm. remodeling company named Elite? Yep. So the, the parent company was called and still is uh, Elite Custom Builders. Okay. And then we just did a, a DBA uh, okay. as Elite Roofing. Okay. So I always liked the name Elite and, you know, kind of help and myself who, to who those, those logo? standards. Who did your logo? I built my, my, I, I did my own logo. Really? Yeah. On your, uh, your computer? Yeah. I just went okay. on some free website, like, Hey, free logo builder website at nice. the time. I was like, okay, I'll just play with it and design it. Yeah. Played with the fonts and came up with the, yeah. you know, the things and the, and made some adjustments over time. And then that's really cool. now obviously I have a full design team that helps with, with our branding and stuff, but yeah, but yeah, that's like, yeah actually, you know, I'm pretty proud of that. Cause now that I got a CEO and all these people working, it's like. I did actually create you that You probably logo. don't think like, about this stuff logo, too much yeah. anymore, right? No. So then uh, scaling, creating a lot. So you, you started scale. So you started to scale the company. You got those jobs done and you started having salespeople. You're creating a, I mean, your life is changing at this point. I mean, that's a life changing amount of income that, mm -hmm. you know, you, you started to think about having a wife, having a family, that kind of stuff. Is mm -hmm. that kind of what happened or was it? Yeah. And I had met, uh, my wife currently, and, and I had met her while I was still selling roofs for the other company. Okay. And so, uh, and I was storm chasing while I was still dating her. So that was a little bit challenging as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's been with me since day one, man. And, wow. and uh, that's been fun. I'm glad I was able to kind of get the business going and get things going before I started having kids because it gave me the opportunity to kind of get everything established first. So, so, but regardless, I mean, having children, no matter what, where you are in life, it's a challenge. I mean, that's, it's, it's a challenge to just separate that time and, and really, you know, provide your family with the, with the amount of time that they, they need I mean, and deserve. You've from. probably wanted to create a life with her. And you wanted to have family. And so that probably motivated the heck out of you to build a company. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. That's Very probably so. huge. Yep. And uh, and then you, you started to create a life, uh, you know, a, a scaling the company, creating a new life. Was it just you or you had you had some business partners? I mean, you had people giving you uh, the, some startup capital. But as you got and paid them off, the whole business is just yours completely? Yeah. So at the time, it was mine. And I had brought on my previous I guess we had a partnership in another little sales company that we had done. When we were doing sales, we kind of built our own little company within the company, Okay, you know, just, you know, for legal reasons. And so he was a partner in that. And I brought him in, not as a partner with the company, but with, as a sales manager. And we had some canvassers and a couple of salespeople and, you know, and had mom doing admin and I was selling roofs. And that was kind of what, what our grassroots beginning was. Uh, I don't know how much time we have to go into the full story, but the that ended up going pretty um, south early on. Well, we uh, let me just get that. Let me just see really quick. We have what's that? Two fifty four right now. Um, so we I, I allotted about two hours. So I don't when we're we've got probably like thirty minutes left. But um, the thing is, uh, I'm, I'm kind of starting to get, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of like training and, sure, and your, sure. your training so, business so and we'll, stuff. We'll fast forward Very much. Yeah. So the, um, but I, I definitely want to get into, you met your wife, you wanted to build a, uh, you wanted to build a family. The, the business kind of comes with that, you know, building the business is, helps build your family up. And then you, uh, let's talk about kind of the. I guess let's just get into the nuts and bolts. This is where like roofers will probably really like because we'll get into nuts and bolts of like running a roofing company. Sure. You know what that's like. Um, so, you know, you have the, you know, you, your big thing is leadership. And mm -hmm. and I think from reading your book, you really 
I believe very strongly in servant leadership. That's kind of like your, I'd say it seems like your, um, your operating philosophy of yep. servant leadership. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to you? Well, yeah, I think, I think great leaders work for their people. Okay. Instead of people working for them. That's different. Yeah. That's a very different way to think about leadership because you think, well, it, I'm the top dog and everybody works for me. That's yeah. how a lot of, you know, how companies. we've been conditioned. Yeah. That's how our grandparents acted. It's how most companies and great, not great, but big companies have been built this hierarchical, you know, way of doing business where, where I think you're better off, you know, as a leader, focusing your energy on facilitating growth of others and facilitating opportunities for others. Like we spoke about earlier. Yeah. And that's, that's been kind of, you know, my motivational factor all the way through is just how can I facilitate the growth of others and, and get to a place in life and in business where I can be heavily focused on the things that I'm naturally good at and find people to do all the other things that I'm not good at. Okay. I mean, that's been a, you know, long, a decade long journey, but, but being at that place and being in a place where, where I spend the majority of my time in my creative idealistic type of zone where I'm naturally wired to be, do really well. I mean, we just, just everything in life just is growing exponentially and I'm just creating jobs and creating opportunities for a ton of people. And it's just, it's a really, really fun, awesome place to be. Well, that servant leadership is, is like, you know, I think you, you mentioned the, you know, kind of, you want to go against the status quo. You want to challenge yep. the status quo and like thinking in leadership in terms of, I work for my, the people that work for me. It's like, you have to really think about, you have to change your, the way you think about it. Got to eat a big old bite of humble pie. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's really cool. You know, that people can out there, you can start to like look in, you know, research a little more at servant leadership idea. Cause it's a, it's a pretty big idea. And I think it's, there's a lot of leaders that talk about it. John Maxwell, I think yeah. you mentioned he, he, uh, he, he talks a lot about that. And um, let's go a little bit about your sales philosophy. Cause I think in your book, you kind of reference the sales philosophy as far as um, you're very much, um, you know, customer oriented and customer needs oriented as opposed to um, self interest of the salesperson. You know, a lot of times that I feel like in our industry that that kind of happens where, um, you know, the, the customer meets with a uh, 100% commission salesperson face to face, high pressure, sign this document or else I'm gone, um, you know, or else you're not getting what I, what I have to offer. Whereas your philosophy is more like, well, what do these people really need? And let's uncover those needs and let's meet them. Is that is that kind of? Yeah. And it really, it, it's culminated with the idea of and my whole philosophy and our training program and everything. It's all based on relational selling. You know, we don't want to be just another used car sales roofing company. Mm-hmm. With 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 like a a gimmicky scripted say this when when the customer says this you say this when the customer says this you say this mm-hmm. people buy from people who they know like and trust so we focus on being somebody that can be known can be liked and can be trusted so we focus on the personal development side the best people once we can be really in touch with ourselves and be genuine em- genuinely empathetic towards our clients and towards their needs sales just happen a yeah. lot more organically and they happen better and they're stronger like we don't i don't just want to go in and sell your roof right now once just to get paid and get my commission and move on i want to sell you a roof i want to sell your neighbor a roof i want to sell your dad a roof your grandma a roof I want you to come back in three years when he gets hailed on again. And when you buy a new house, like that's the relationship we want to build. And with every single client, you know, obviously it doesn't happen that way. But if you have that mindset of building relationships first and, and, and solving problems and, and filling their needs second, 
I mean, it's amazing what kind of results you get. That's really interesting. I mean, your sales philosophy, a lot of it is around personal development of the representative. Yeah. And you feel that the stronger your representative is, the the better he can serve his salesperson. So it's almost like a servant leadership there as well. Yeah. Like the salesperson is the servant to the customer. Mm -hmm. And and so that's um so that's the driving force behind the sales philosophy then. Yeah, and you want to have a step-by-step -step process that can be practiced, duplicated, repeated, and you know that sort of thing, you know, but you you can't take out the human element. You can't take out the fact that these are it's H2H sales, humans to humans. You know, it's yeah. not, you know, salesperson to homeowner. It's one human to another. Yeah. And and you got to focus on that relationship and and and, and find some common ground and and uh, you know, build lifelong relationships knowing that you're you're building a sales organization that's local and and going to be around for for as long as time is, you know, that's the idea. That's a mindset is build this company that's going to be here forever to, to serve you and your family's roofing needs for the rest of your life. Yeah. You go into the sale with that mentality changes things. Absolutely. It makes you look at, look at it completely different. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your, the CRM, some cash. So this big topic with roofing companies is cash flow, collections and a CRM. And so there's, um, you use different CRMs to manage the, the company, but you use one primary one, yeah. Job Nimbus. Yep. And so uh, with Job Nimbus, you've been able to like really optimize it, its capabilities, I feel like, because you can use it, you use it for almost running the whole company for the most part. Mm -hmm. I mean, you also use QuickBooks to run the financials. And then are there some other uh, softwares that you use? Yeah, we use one on the commercial side called Follow Up Power. And okay. uh, it's, all, it's all based on front end selling. I mean, commercial sales is different than than residential sales. I mean, residential is a one one call close or two call close or whatever. Whereas a, a commercial sale, you may establish a relationship now and you don't get the deal for a year. Mm -hmm. You know, so so it's all about front end following up, tracking your progress. You know, uh, helping you track sales based on the time in which they're going to make a decision. You know, if 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 you're doing a commercial sale and somebody's going to make a decision in six months, three months, nine months. you got to ask that question. Like, how long before you're actually going to be making this decision to, to replace this $500,000 roof, right? Yeah. You know, so it's based on, like, time management and following up consistently to build up that much larger kind of pipeline. So follow-up is, is, is an example of a software that helps track that front-end so selling stuff. So before, you, um, before you, had, you had no CRM at one point, right? You just had spreadsheets and whatever you could. To yeah. Keep we started off just paper files, man. We paper just, files. everything was in a paper file and it yeah. moved along the, moved along the journey, paper files and a uh, magnet board. And then you got on one CRM that didn't really was working, but it was just a little too restricted for you. Yeah. Right? As we wanted to expand our company, we wanted a CRM that was uh, flexible in the sense that we can customize it to fit our business model instead of having to change our business model to fit what the CRM's capabilities are. So like, I, I feel like it's really important just to say, like, you just to establish, you believe at this point, you can't run a roofing company without having a CRM. No, you, you, you can run one, you can't grow one. Okay, okay, so you think at this point, it's, it's, it's not really necessary, you can make it happen without a CRM. Um, you can run a company without a CRM, but like if you really wanna scale to the level of beyond 10 million a year, you're going to need shoot beyond 2 million a year, even you know? 2 million. Yeah. Huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, you can, you can essentially run paper files, but the amount of work it takes to do that, especially the kind of a one person chucking a truck 
situation, it's like, it's hard, man. You're running, I've done it. I've ran a business from my truck and everything yeah. had a file and, and that was it. No CRMs, yeah. just some, some emailing and some word documents and, and a, and a, in a file and I kept that file box with me, <laughs> yeah. you know, and on yeah. Fridays I had my checkbook <laughs> and I drive around and write checks to the subcontractors. And yeah. that, that was the old school way of doing it, but well, I didn't really, know any that, other that way. That was me like not even two years ago. I mean, I used to carry yeah, this giant start that file, way, yeah. you know, and, and it was like, uh, it was like I had this giant bag and a giant file, like walking the office, like with one, you know, my shoulder kind of, you know, carrying all this stuff. Um, but I wanted to, so the, the cat, so you mentioned in the book about, cash flow and how challenging that is. And especially mm-hmm. starting out, you know, you were kind of like, um, just on a shoestring budget. You didn't even know how you were going to make payroll. You, sometimes you didn't even pay yourself. Uh, you were just, I mean, can you kind of illustrate a little bit and just talk about like moving from there to ideally you want to be in a cash flow situation where you have enough capital in the bank to cover all your expenses and your credit lines are just there for, to make accounting a little easier. Is that kind of the way you see it? The, the I think the harsh reality of it is the way if, if you're in the industry and you're doing insurance work, you're sacrificing time in order to get the best, in order to get the proper margin that you're supposed to get. Okay. So this is a decision that roofers have to make. Am I, am I just going to do the job and get paid and take whatever I can get just to get paid and have that cash flowing? Or am I going to supplement and, and fight and make sure that the insurance companies are paying me what I'm dessert what what the actual market value is? It's 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 an unfortunate mm-hmm. problem that we all have to deal with. But if you're of the mindset that I'm going to do things right and I'm going to make sure that we get paid what we what we're supposed to and what the market should bear, the the sacrifice is time, mm-hmm. and ultimately that that crunches cash flow. I mean, it, it, any business where you have to you know, wait for at least half your money for months, it becomes very challenging to, to manage the cash flow. In a perfect situation, you have enough cash where you can cover all of your all of your expenses to run the company, plus more, and you're just using your uh, supply li- your supply credit lines and any other credit lines you might have just to make your accounting easier. That's kind of the way I've been seeing it. Yeah, that's an, in a perfect a world. Perfect but world, right? Once you add in growth and you add in economic changes and different factors, it becomes more and more challenging. I mean, the more and more we grow every year, doesn't matter. We come to this point, this point of the year where where it's like, all right, we got a whole bunch of money we got to go collect. Let's go collect it. You yeah. know, and it takes yeah. a long time to do that. It takes a long time to collect all that money, but all the while you still have overhead and you still got bills to pay. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so it just becomes kind of a balancing act between, you know, when to, when to draw money, when not to draw money and how to allocate and budget it. And, and we've come up with ways to, to, to be a little more predictable and kind of project cash flow and project income and, mm-hmm. and get really good with invoicing and really good with supplementing and all those sort of things to try to minimize, you know, the, the amount of time you wait, but this industry, just the, just the reality of it is there's always going to, you're always going to be sacrificing time for money, time for margin. And do you, uh, do you, do you believe in uh, having the salesman pick up checks or do you have a full-time mm-hmm. collections person? Uh, yeah. Salespeople, their, their job is to sell the roof, facilitate the project, be kind of a customer service and collect checks. Okay. You know, uh, obviously there's a lot of software, different things out there that you can automate and, and people can pay online and, but salesmen and don't send collect checks, checks in and those sort of things. Yours always do, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we, I wish in a perfect world, but okay. again, we, you got to have reinforcements. I mean, we do our own invoicing. We have an invoicing uh, process of, of, 
of invoicing and following up with invoices and, and we go into liens if we have to and those sort of things. Okay. But it's it's just how you can facilitate all that, that workflow of the collection workflow and incorporate the, the salespeople in it. So you help do their job as far as, or do the job of supplementing it, invoicing it, get everything set up. And then we send the invoice out and then they're notified that, hey, it's time, go get that check as soon as it's ready. I'm sure you've thought, what if we just didn't have the salespeople collecting checks and I hire someone to do it and let them keep selling? I'm sure that's crossed your mind yeah, as, but a, the, as, a, as a CEO, you know? But the, but the number one source for us to grow and, and to sell roofs is referrals. Okay. I mean, what's a great opportunity to get a referral was when you finally, you, you close. We like to treat it like a closing like a real estate closing, right? You're okay. done with the job. Yeah. It's time to get paid. So you're going to go there, review the paperwork, get the check, make sure the house looks perfect, you know, take your nail bar, nail magnet and just make sure everything is done right mm -hmm. and then ask for referrals. Mm -hmm. So if you can do it that way, it's worth it every single time. Okay. So you 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 feel that if you had someone if you t took that responsibility away from the salespeople, then you may decrease your chances to get that, that referral down, you know, increase in a sales sense, that, that way. Um, but it's not, it's not a perfect science. I mean, some mm -hmm. homeowners mail checks in, some of yeah. them actually do, we have an online payment form now, so they can okay. pay online. It's just direct ACH That's out nice. of their, out of their accounts, you know? So we have multiple options, financing. I mean, customers finance things as well. So yeah. there's a lot of different options, but you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who, just go get that money. What financing are you using? Uh, service finance. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Man, uh, the supplementing. So a big controversy, not controversy, not really controversy, it's controversy in a roofing business, in but yeah. in-house supplementing or outsourcing. Because, you know, there's these supplementing companies out there that, uh, you know, you pay a percentage and, and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll settle the claim for you. And then there's in-house way where you just have your people and they, they work for you. There's actually, you know, uh, like our company of the W2 person who sits there and does supplementing, you know, as well as some, a bunch of other stuff, but you do something because sort of a hybrid model of those two, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but you, you, how do you feel about outsource supplement, the supplement to a supplement company? Uh, I think it's a great idea until you can, until you can either afford and or keep one person full-time busy, outsource it. Why not? Okay. Get it done. It needs to get done. Why and, not, and why company, not uh, outsource it even to, even if you could afford it? That's, that's viable as well. Okay. I mean, it's not necessarily a matter of affording it because most of them are going to get a percentage of the job, mm -hmm. but afford it in the sense that you have enough work and enough volume to keep one person full time. Mm -hmm. That's when you make the decision to bring it in house or not. It seems like to have that one person full time, you have to, you know, to get them trained to the point, the way the supplement company people are, um, the, cause I've worked with those supplement companies mm -hmm. and they're, they're like really good at their job, yeah. you know? And I feel like in order to hire someone and get them that good, it's going to take quite a bit of training, development, all that stuff, you know? And I feel like I could put that into other things that might be more, more profitable. Luckily, there's tra there's training involved for everything. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing in this business. Nowadays, the day, age of technology, the age of information and, and social media and, and virtual trainings and all this stuff, is you depending on how you want to facilitate, you can do it. I mean, if you have a good person with the right – the thing about supplementing is you got to have the right personality to, to be a good supplementer. Yeah. You know, you yeah. got to be a bear. You got to be, you know, a type of person that if you feel you're right about something, you're going to do whatever it takes to prove that you're right. And, and not, not even be a pushover. The money not, is be, not even a side. It's, it's a not principle even that. of it's, like, we need to get it's this. It's the human nature of what's right is right. And and you got to be willing to, to uh, you know, facilitate that relationship in a way 
that isn't overbearing or aggressive, but also makes your point and get your point across that this is the right way to do this. This mm -hmm. is the right amount of money to charge. These are the right, this is the right scope. And you were wrong when you did it, <laughs> but you got to say it in a way and to go and, and, and facilitate that in a way that, that, you know, you know, I guess that, that expedites a process and then everybody, you know, wins at the end. And that's, that's, so I guess you would probably say, you know, it kind of depends on the particular company how they how they what, what works best for that company is what they should go with as far as like outsourcing it or having in-house people supplementing right and it, I, I feel like it might go this you might say the same thing about a crm what works best for that company internally is what the crm they should go with is that yeah i mean every company is different man i mm -hmm. mean every company is like they're like a living breathing entity right they're all going to have their differences and and as soon as you add in human the the the, the human condition every person is different they're different styles different you know, different attributes different things they're good at and not good at and 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 you got to kind of analyze what you have to determine what the uh, the ideal model you want to go with i mean but you work with a lot of companies right because mm -hmm. you've you've kind of gone into uh you know you run your own company but how you just put the uh you know um brie in place to be the ceo and now you've kind of you, you you're focusing a little more on the roof academy yep. which is your company also which coaches roofing companies and you, uh, so you're kind of starting to see a lot of roofing companies and the nuts and bolts of roofing companies, and you're starting to get a different perspective. I, I, are, are you getting a different perspective of of running a roofing company now that you're now that you're um, kind of being exposed to so many different styles and, and brands? Uh, sure, there's there's a learning, and that's why I love what I do. I get to learn every day. I yeah. mean, there's different. Every company's different. Every person's different. There's there's different nuances with everything. It's a, it's it's a one off situation with every client I work with. There's not like a cut and dry step by step this is how you run a business because there's people are different their 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 attributes are different their strengths are different so you want to kind of build companies around the people that are involved mm -hmm. and and i i like the idea of you know uh, i work with a lot of companies just kind of getting getting going and there's so many opportunities you can outsource assistance you can outsource uh cfo you can outsource uh, bookkeeping, you can, there's a ton of things you can, and, and obviously supplementing, you can outsource all these things yeah. and just focus on being a sales and production company. Yeah. You can you know, outsource production. You can even outsource production. <laughs> like, you know, again, it's, it's how, what you're good at. If you're naturally good at production, great. Hire a great salesperson and then be a production company that has great salespeople as well. You know? Yeah. And, and well, I was just at Win the Storm and I was networking with, uh, Nathan Higgs. They, 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 they are a production company. Yeah. And they outsource production. They will order your materials. They'll schedule your crew. They'll pull the permit, and they'll let you know when things are going to get going. And it was a pretty interesting talk that I attended. I'm, I'm thinking about getting getting him in here as well. Um, but the um, I, I do want to get into uh, you know you work. So like let's say you're a company. You hire we hire you to 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 coach us, tra train us, and um, the uh, you're not going to say, look, you really should use Job Nimbus, right? If someone's already using uh, some other CRM. So you, do you, do you kind of like just look at the processes that they have existing and then just make them better? Or do you recommend new processes or, I mean, the CRM is kind of a big one. If someone's comfortable with the CRM, you won't have them change or will you? No, not necessarily. I mean, if, if there's not a need, if it's not, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. I yeah. mean, if you can fit within the CRM you're working with, great. The key is you just got to make sure everybody's on the same page and you're using it to its full, full capabilities. Mm -hmm. You know, we were, we made those mistakes. We were like, oh, well, we'll just get a manager and then use everything on paper and just have one, uh, like one or two 
users and try to manage certain things on there or whatever. But it wasn't until we went all in where everybody had to use your, everybody had the responsibility to log in and track and move things around. And, and that was, that was a game changer. If you're going to scale a business, you gotta, you, you gotta have some sort of, you know, customer relationship management in, in place. Well, so one thing though, is like, you know, we started using a CRM and it was a complete failure because a month into it, we try to get everybody on it. And like, I hardly could use it and yeah. let alone like the rest of our guys, you know? So then we took a step back and we started using job Nimbus about a year ago. And now we're kind of to a level where we can, we're getting a lot better at it. Um, but I feel like it's important to know that there's a growth curve to using a CRM and adopting it to the processes of your company. And because I think you're 100% right, use it to your full capability, but you can't expect it to use it to the full capability overnight. No, we've been using it for three years and we're still like on a monthly basis making changes. Wow. Like it's, and there's always little tweaks and changes and these things. You're, the thing is, like I said, your company is a living, breathing entity. It's going to change. Things are evolving and changing all the time. Mm -hmm. So for us and my recommendation for a CRM is one, get one that fits your company and, and how, what, you, what you're trying to do as a company. And for us, we want it to be a full, you know, in my mind, a, a, a real roofing company mm -hmm. isn't just a door knocking insurance contingency signing company. Okay. That's just, that's a small sliver of the overall big picture of what roofing is. Yeah. You know, so for us, we wanted a residential department, a service department and a commercial department. Okay. And in order to do that, all three of those departments have different workflows and different sales cycles. So we wanted to have a, a CRM that was versatile enough to customize each one of those in order to facilitate all three. It's like, it's like three different businesses that we run essentially. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So we just wanted a CRM that could that help facilitate that and can kind of evolve and be customized as we grow. So the training that you offer for people is, is kind of like, um, the, uh, it's for, for small, medium, large, it's for kind of like the, the full range and it's, mm -hmm. and it's, it's comprehensive in nature. I mean, I feel like if you got a question of, like if I have a roofing company and I have a question about anything <laughs> related to my roofing company, someone at your, your, your consulting company is going to have the answer. Yep. That's the idea. That's the idea. Right. So you get, you also get like training modules for uh, video modules and mm -hmm. then, uh, you get, uh, you know, training on the CRM, on cash flow, on collections, on operations, on commercial, on everything, sales. right? <laughs> sales, everything. Admin, right? marketing, the whole deal. I mean, okay. we, we took we took everything we learned over the last decade in building our company out and turned it into a, a very, very in-depth uh, training course with 10 different courses pre-done, pre-built inside the, the program. And uh, the idea is to be able to help provide answers and provide solutions for contractors at all phases. Are you, did you do this because you, you feel passionate about like helping the industry? Yeah, you, totally. you, you've, it's something you really, it's rewarding for you personally to, to teach, to, to teach your ideas, teach, you know, um, consult, teach, help people grow. Is that kind of what, what happened? Yeah. So early on when I first started my company and, and as, as someone who came from, was educated and came from a school and, and business school and that sort of thing, I started a construction company and I was like, there's gotta be a textbook on this, right? I gotta be some sort of, sort of book on, on how to build a construction company. Mm -hmm. There was nothing. There was nothing. I went to, at the time, it, this is, you know, the, was it Google wasn't, what, their, it Amazon wasn't, wasn't around. Yeah. It was like barely yeah. Amazon. Yeah. And, and uh, so I couldn't find anything. I looked at stores and locally, I'm like, man, I just got to figure it out on my own. You know, fast forward 10 years, it's like, man, why don't I facilitate that? Like, yeah. I just felt like called to 
you know, step up as a thought leader in the industry to share my journey, to share the experiences and best practices that we had learned to help facilitate the growth of others Mm -hmm. that were in my same situation. I mean, you know, I I like to be able to help expedite someone's growth that just doesn't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, good hearted, good character people out there. There's a ton of them out there. Great people, high integrity, high character, all the right intentions. They just don't know. They don't know what they don't know. Mm. So the the academy and the book and everything was designed to help facilitate that. Okay. To to what goes along with my ultimate, I guess, personal why and personal purpose is to help create opportunities for others while while challenging the status quo. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I share best practices. I share the things that we know and we've learned from our company to help others, but. I think good people deserve a chance. And there's too many unfortunate situations in this industry where people just get ripped off and have a bad have a bad perception of what this industry is. So I'm just trying to do my part to, to change that, to, to give good people a chance to, to rise to the top and to be the best that they can within their local market. We're not a storm chaser. We wanna yeah. help local contractors dominate their market. Yeah, that's well, I mean, it's pretty, it's, it's very different that you're, uh, that's like the mastermind that you're doing in Denver coming mm-hmm. up, you know, fairly soon where uh, you're basically inviting people, roofers from Denver, um, who and are all members over the country, not even from Denver, and yeah. all over the country yeah. to come and like go into your office and literally see the way you guys operate. And I had, we were talking to uh, the vice president of Atlas over at the International Roofing Expo, you and I, and he, one question he said, um, are you concerned about training your competition? <laughs> Remember that? And you're not at all because no, your purpose is way bigger than that. No, this, this industry is huge. There's, people is. are joining every day, whether they get trained or not. Mm-hmm. Reality of it is the industry is growing and it's a low barrier to entry. Until that changes, anybody and everybody who gets, the, gets a wild hair to start a roofing company can do that. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Failure rate's high. It's like 50%. You yeah. know, you have a, it's like a flip of a coin if you're going to be successful or not. <laughs> if I can help, if I can help the, the good people win, I'm all about it. The industry's way too big to worry about, you know, every other little competitor out there. You know, our market alone has over 4,000 roofers. Yeah. If I can work with 50 yeah. of them or, you know, I'll be, I'm fine with that. I can help 50 of them be the best, the top 50 in the market. I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. I'm yeah, not competing absolutely. against them. I'm competing against myself and they should be competing against themselves as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're, uh, just to kind of wrap things up again, I really appreciate you being here. Man, I, think, been awesome. I think this is going to be really good for, for people to listen to. And, and, um, you talk in the book, uh, you know, kind of to wrap it up about your, your, um, big, hairy, is it big, big, hairy, goals? the big, hairy, audacious goal, big, hairy, audacious came from, goals. I don't remember where they originated it, but it came originally out of, uh, uh, mastering the Rockefeller habits by Vern Harnish. Okay. All right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, big, hairy, audacious goals. Yeah. Um, and these are just sort of like, almost like kind of they're actual goals, but they're like just almost in fantasy land type goals, yeah. somewhat. So, do you what? What are your personally your your goals for for the for elite for 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 Randy Brothers for one, and then what are your big hairy audacious goals, and then for Elite Roofing Company, and then the Roof Academy. Well, let's let's put some context behind that. Yeah. So the idea is, we've all been conditioned. Everybody's got you got to set goals that you can achieve, and when you achieve them, you check it off the box and you set another achievable goal. But how hard are you really pushing yourself with that mentality, right? The idea behind yeah. the big, hairy, audacious goal is to, is to shoot for the stars. And if you're lucky, you might just hit the moon, you know, because if you're striving for things above and beyond your reach and above and beyond your capacity, 
you're going to be naturally working harder towards that and, 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 and trying to push yourself every day to grow and get better, you know? So if you're just constantly just achieving goal after goal, after goal, after goal, what is it really, are you really testing your ability? Yeah. If you're just setting, you know, mundane, uh, achievable goals. I mean, yeah, you want to set low, like, you know, smaller weekly, monthly, daily goals. Like I try to set a goal every day, like each day, get this, 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 and this done by the end of the day, get these things done. Okay. That's just some, you know, basic goal, but, but the big hairy goals, this is the stuff that's like above and beyond your capacity that kind of forces you to just strive and grind and work harder and, and, and get outside your comfort zone and, and work and strive for more than you, you, you can actually achieve. I mean, what's your uh, big hairy goal? Like personally, I mean, do you, do you want to have like a, some kind of mansion in the mountains potentially and, and, and walk out of your front door and like ski down the hill and, <laughs> and like, uh, you know, maybe have a Lamborghini on the weekends and a, uh, or you don't like Lamborghinis. You prefer I like, uh, like, I like Lambos, man. I like Lambos. Don't <laughs> okay. Wrong. You like Lambos. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's not the, that's not the driving force, but, but for me, I mean, real, the, the real end game is real estate. I mean, anyone in business, yeah. anyone in business should, should understand that the, that the real end game in business and in life and success is begins and ends real estate. You okay. know, we want to build up the asset column, right? Look at, look at the rich dad, poor dad stuff. Uh, but yeah, I want to have a, you know, we want to get a house in the mountains and have a house on the beach and have our normal house and be able to travel and do whatever we want whenever we want. But the reality of it is I don't want to have to ask myself how much does something cost? Mm. I want to be able to do what I want when I want without worrying about price. Yeah. Yeah. I get the sense you're not really driven I mean, you, you, you like making money and you like money and you like having financial goals, but that's not what you're driven by. I, I, maybe it's just cause I love big hairy audacious challenges. Like I don't want to just be wealthy and be successful. I want to make every person around me wealthy and successful. Yeah. That's the difference. You yeah. know, it's like, it'll come. I mean, I don't, I don't sit there counting my money. <laughs> I don't even know how much I make. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about how can, how many other people can I help that's awesome. build wealth and, and, yeah. and, 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 and get rich, so to speak, because that'll naturally translate into wealth for myself and for my own family. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, when it comes to companies, I mean, the, it's not even about the money, but I mean, there's very few hundred million dollar roofing companies. Yeah. So why not, why not strive to be, be, be build a hundred million dollar roofing company and as an immediate, you know, goal for the, the Academy is a hundred million with my clients, like help a hundred million, a hundred million get dollars. them combined to do a hundred million within the next two years. Wow. That's huge. That is very big, very audacious. That is really big. We're probably already a third of the way there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, we're, yeah, easily. I mean, you add a few more few more clients and they double up each year and that sort of thing. I mean, that happens. We can, we can help double companies on a regular basis. I mean, Absolutely. the systems and processes that we teach, it's, you know, you're going to grow. You're going to be successful if you put in the time and, and energy to do it. So the big hairy goals for Randy Brothers is create as much opportunity as possible that you can do in your lifetime. Um, for Elite, hit 100 million. And for Roof Academy, 100 million also. Yeah. Those are the financial well, really, goals. Really, I mean, the Academy is... Could, could go way beyond that. Yeah. I mean, way beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the roofing industry, and also the international roofing expo just made me see like just how, and this is a multi, huge. this is a hundred billion dollar industry. Yeah. I mean, if, if I can, if my Academy can affect a provide a billion dollars in, in overall revenue, what is that going to do? What kind of opportunities is that going to create for people and what kind of lives and, and, uh, you know, great lives and opportunities and, you know, um, 
overall satisfaction and everything. What is that going to do? What's that going to do for all of our clients and all the people that are involved? If we can, yeah. if we're getting a couple hundred people splitting a billion dollars, I'm okay with that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. Um, so I, uh, again, I really appreciate again, uh, Randy coming on, on to the show and, and sharing all of your knowledge with us. And I really want to encourage people to pick up your book. And I also want them to go to your website, the roof academy.com, the um, roofing academy.com, the roofing academy.com. And, uh, and also, um, if you, uh, um, if you have any uh, questions, please feel free to like, comment, share. Go to your, uh, you you have a podcast as well. Yeah, got started, uh, we have a podcast and it's kind of named after the book as well. The book is called Start It, Build It, Grow It, The Contractor's Guide to Success. You can find it on Amazon. It's on uh, uh, digital as well as uh, you can order it to get the physical copy. And then our podcast is called The Start, Build, Grow Show. We film it awesome. live. Uh, we have a Facebook page. We have a YouTube channel and and uh, our website is, it's all kind of tied together with the Roofing Academy website as well. And, and uh, you can find us on uh, iTunes. Uh, and what's the other one? What's the other? Uh, Spotify. Spotify. So we're on Spotify okay. and iTunes primarily. And we're getting just Well, your Facebook feedback. live stuff is really cool. I like, I love it when you guys go live. I, I need to look at your schedule because. Every Wednesday I, at six o'clock. Thank time. you. Yep. <laughs> Every Wednesday at six. Okay, perfect. And uh, tomorrow is our 50th, 50th episode, 50th podcast. So we're just wow. going to do a review. We're just going to have some fun, do some Q&A, do some giveaways. So that's awesome. It's going to be cool. We'll tune in for sure. All right. Well, have a good, uh, good rest of the day. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I really hope that you got something out of this show. Please be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. And if you would be so nice as to leave a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. If you do know someone who you think could benefit from listening to this show, if you know what I mean, please send them our way and we hope that we can help them. Thank you again and I hope you have a great day.